Hey, welcome to the Construction Generate Podcast. I am your host, Emily Lenning, and I'm here to talk about all things business for the home service industry. From interior design to plumbing, I know that finding strategy, marketing, and ideas specific to the home service industry isn't easy. So I'm giving you the best advice for building your online presence and bringing on some industry professionals to provide even more value along the way. If you're ready to build your home service business and ultimately build a recognizable home service brand, you're in the right hands. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Construct and Generate. I have Lance and Alex here from F9 Productions. I'll give a little intro of them here and then we'll kick it off. Um, Lance is a unique design professional. He has over 20 years of hands-on construction experience. He has worked in the field as a carpenter and independent contractor spanning throughout North Dakota, Montana, and Idaho. His hands-on construction experience combined with his impressive credentials given an edge to over many architects. His experience has enabled him to lead into sophisticated and complex designs with the utmost understanding of their constructability. Alex grew up drawing wars of ants versus bees, playing backyard baseball, visiting architectural sites, and being obsessed with Frank Lloyd Wright. After graduating from high school, he joined the National Guard as a heavy equipment operator. While enrolled in the Guard, he also attended North Dakota State University to start his formal training in architecture. Upon graduating, Alex worked under the world-famous architect, Daniel Libeskind. Um, Libeskin. Libeskin. <laughs> from there, he teamed up with his best friend from college, Lance, and together they created F9 Productions. And I also want to say your superpowers. Um, Lance's superpower is to... Ability to write an email while eating an apple and listening to his favorite podcast. And Alex's is great at eating chips. <laughs> I wanted to include those there. Um, Thanks for having us. But uh, those, uh, that's completely wrong. Lance is getting super old. He probably has 30 years of experience instead of 20. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, know, I, I know exactly. I've had to like uh, this morning, that literally, just the meeting, the meeting just before this, I, I announced my age and then I, yeah, it's closer to 30 now. It's now it's almost 26 years. So you're wow. yeah. Yep. Impressive. That's amazing. Um, well, yeah, thanks guys for ha- being on today. Uh, you guys have an amazing background as we heard from your intro. So I'd love for you guys to just start off by giving us some background of what started F9 Productions and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so we met in college and at first we were rivals and then we we became fast friends in about third year going strong into fourth year into fifth year. And by fifth year, essentially, we thought, hey, maybe in 10 years, well, not maybe, probably in 10 years, we will start our own firm. We are on the top of this hotel with all of our professors, all of our families. That was kind of like our pact to each other, which would have been around 2018. So I went off to New York and worked for Daniel Liebskin. Lance worked for a couple of great architects here, uh, Studio HT. They both won Architect of the Year, so that's pretty impressive. Um, and then the 2008 financial crash happened and I got laid off first and just because I was in New York and let Lance know, um, and he can talk about the steps that he took, but basically I went to back to school for construction management for a year and then it hit Lance. Yeah. We both saw the writing on the wall. I think we've always just been the type of people that look at macro trends and we saw the macro trend unfolding. And then Al, Al obviously was at like the heart of the macro trend uh, where he, he literally watched people walk out of Wall Street 
um, you know, where all the stock trading happens with, with their stuff, right? Like he watched the meltdown in real time. It was pretty incredible. So when we were forecasting and looking at those, those trends that were on the horizon and then happening in real time, we were like, wow, we need to, we need to look for different streams, streams of income. And so one of the things I did is I said, well, there's all this content that needs to be created as we're transitioning from like 2D AutoCAD over to 3, 3D Revit, which is, that's just where we're at in the industry now. Like if you hire an architect, you should expect them to draw you're building in three three dimensions. So there was this huge there was this huge gap of of like oh there's just 2D objects but now we need these 3D objects. So I so in short I, I made a bunch of 3D objects, put it on this uh, old website. It's called TurboSquid. It got noticed by uh, Arcat, and now they're one of our sponsors on our podcast. We have this long term relationship with them, and they ended up hiring us to make a lot of that content. So we had this really nice base level of con of uh, work, and then Al went to uh, North Dakota State again for went back again for his master's of construction. He thought it was going to last only one year. It did not last one year. Then um, I landed a house down here. I landed a clinic, a clinic that I actually even brought back to the other architects I used to work for. And then and then we had all that baseline of work. And I said, man, we have, uh, I think I've got enough work for like a couple of months. He was getting tired. Of, he had to move back with mom and dad, hated it. Who wouldn't hate that as like a young strapping gentleman like Al? And uh, he was like, <laughs> he was like, I got to move out. And I was like, oh, come on down. How, you know, the, the apartment kitty corner to mine, like our kitty, like up, up, up one flight of stairs for mine is open. Let's try it. Let's, let's see if we can do it. So we did. Uh, I'll move down with, with just a little bit of money in his pocket, no furniture, like I had like lawn chairs for furniture. And we did like, we are, our, we didn't do the garage. You know, everybody says like, oh, I did you start your business out of a garage, Amazon, you know, IBM, all that other stuff. Our garage was his dining room. And so we are that true garage kind of story. So from 2009 to 2013, we, we basically starved paycheck to paycheck. And then eventually the economy started to take off. We got licensed. We could go after even more work. And then over, over a decade later, now we have 13 employees, three carpenters, 10 architects. We've won a bunch of awards. And uh, here we are talking to you, Emily. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. I I think what's really inspirational and something I want to ask you guys about is starting it after that the crash, right? The crisis there. Were there any hesitations that you had starting this or really diving into it with that? Were there Was there anything holding you back from that because of what you experienced? There was no hesitation because there was no other option, meaning Lance had no other option but to feed his kids and his family and that. And while, yes, I could have stayed in, you know, part of my parents' cabin house, Lance was going back and forth because he wanted to make sure there was enough work, blah, blah. And at one point I just like, I'm coming down. I literally have X amount of money and I'm going to go until I run out of money. And like... <laughs> That's it. No other plan after Al that. Al had no option but to uh, get out of his mom and dad's house. Like, let's be clear about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that was the biggest catalyst. And I, you know, it, it worked out. It was good. And that's what's hard is that these days you don't have that. There was that kind of mini almost recession, but then everyone got paychecks. So, I mean, maybe there was some firms that were supposed to be born that weren't born because of that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so with that, do or you, time out, or they did it and they just had a way easier time at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. 
So when you guys started this, were you like, I have no idea how to run a business or what are our next steps? Or do you guys have any entrepreneurs in your family? Or did you know what to even do when you decided, all right, this is where we want to go? Alex and I had the ability to always get side work when we were in college. He would, he just every summer, he like figured his different thing. And I was, so we, we fit on, Alex and I fit on so many levels as business partners. We're opposites on a lot of things, which then we end up complimenting each other. But then there's obviously strengths where it's like, oh man. And one of the strengths that I noticed was, was exactly that is, is we could both get work. So I, I think that's one of the, if I had to, if I was speaking to every entrepreneur out there or every budding one, it's like, that is really your biggest fear. I think it should be right away is like, can I get the work? Do I have the ability to get work? And if you can overcome that and, and actually prove yourself, running a business is, 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 it's hard. It's, it's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say it's not complicated, but if, you, but if you do some very fundamental things, you should be able to run a business and honestly figure out most of everything else out because you already know your, your craft and your practice, right? Like you already know how to do architecture if you went to school for five years, like you better know how to do it. If you went to school for marketing, like you better know how to do marketing. Your heart, again, your hardest part is getting the clients. So some of the fundamental things that I would point out that I think everybody should do is like make a rule for yourself about communication. Our rule is somebody contacts us, a client or whatever, we need to get back with them within one hour via text, email, phone call. If we can't do that, then 24 hours in a very certain amount of time, meaning like a 7 a.m. to 4 at 4 p.m. Some people do that Monday through Friday or 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. or like me, 9 to 6. But it's very strict with, with that so that you allow yourself to have that downtime because the downtime is important for regeneration. It's important for creativity. Keep keep good. Number two would be keep as close as as good as books as you can. And with the books, there's a couple of different things. Like we used to just make sure we saved all of our invoices. We kept spreadsheets. Eventually we transitioned to QuickBooks. So you can kind of, you don't have to jump right into QuickBooks, get a bookkeeper, just make sure you're keeping some kind of, some kind of records for that. And that, that's super helpful. And then third would be make yourself a W2 employee. Huge for people missing that. Like I don't, I don't, I even still preach to my wife about it. And she refuses to do it because his, Alex's mom convinced us to do that right away. So instead of just like we have a pile of cash and we decide, Hey, we're paying ourselves this month, this month. No, it was a set fee. That way we had a fixed parameter for like what to expect for the next payroll. But really where it came into play was seven, eight, 10 years down the road. As soon as we had to get some kind of loans for certain things, or even like getting that first lease, anything where it's like the uncreative people, bankers or people like that, who have to just check the box, boom, they just check the box, W-2. You don't even mention that you're a business owner because that'll raise a red flag. All they need to know, those little box checkers are W-2. Yeah. There's two more. We actually couldn't believe that people didn't do this, but a lot of people don't. Mm. And to be honest, Lance and I don't even do this right now, but I'll tell you why. The, the suggestion <laughs> is you need to have a timer. You need to time how much you're working on each project so that you know if you're profitable or not. And that leads into, hey, here's our base salary. We know what we need to get. So we know what time we're spending on projects so that we don't literally spend four times as much time on a project than, than we need to. The only reason we don't do that well anymore is because 
some of our days are broken up into like five minute intervals of talking about this project, getting a phone call about this project, getting a phone call about that project. So like, but all of our employees, the majority of time when we're actually spending a chunk of time on project, we'll do that. So please get a timer and do that. And then my suggestion for getting work, the only mistake that I've, I've seen consistently is some people will come and they're trying to start a business or trying to start off on their own and they tell the clients what they need or what they need to do. It's like, hey, I'm an expert in this. So you need to do this. And it's like, hey, it's great that you're an expert in that, but that had like that's like this much of my business, you know. I think it really needs to come across as, you know, like, hey, this is what I do. What can I do for you? And literally let them talk and open up the, the opportunities. I've just seen that time and time again, people coming at me with their ideas and be like, man, you don't even know me. How are you selling to me when you don't even know what I need? Right. Yeah, that's great. And I think too, back to your time thing um, and W2, I didn't know that was a thing either until my CPA was like, why aren't you a W2 employee? I'm like, oh, I guess I should do that. Um, that was a huge uh, win for me and my taxes as well. Um, when it comes to your time, that is also something that I think a lot of people aren't doing when they are in a project-based business, which a lot of home service industry clients are. And like for me with marketing, it's okay, how much time are we spending on this client? And I think I don't know if you guys do profit first, but that's something big kind of in my circles when it comes to marketing. But like when you get, when you're starting your business, you're splitting up your dollars and 35% owners pay or some percent in taxes, et cetera, which I think is a good way to also take your finances and then realize, okay, where am I spending a lot of the time? (laughs) So that is something that I think I've heard a lot about too. Um, Yeah. So with that and the time and everything, what are some softwares that you guys recommend or that you use in your business that are great tools for people in the home service industry? Like Uh, something. All of our employee, I actually started timing myself just so everybody knows like uh, a couple (laughs) weeks ago, because I started doing my my goal this year is to try to do is be as billable as possible, which is that's uh, after you hit like a, a certain period of time and and you and, and you're more you're really wearing the ownership hat more than anything the salesman hat or saleswoman hat more than anything then i think the timing goes away but like i'm trying to be as billable as possible anyway the software i would recommend for that is toggle uh t o g g l i would also recommend calendly uh calendly has been like a game changer on so many different levels um because everybody can see my schedule and they can book how they want virtually uh, in person, just a phone call. It just makes my life so simple. And then design software. If you if somehow you're an architect or you're a student or somebody like that listening, Revit, Revit Architecture, R-E-V-I-T. If you were looking to try to learn that, you go to revitrocketship.com. That's the course that we put together for that. And then I don't know if I have any other ones that you recommend. I would say if you don't want to get into the professional softwares, you can get into SketchUp. SketchUp says that they're professional software. They're borderline. Some architects can use it if they only stick on residential um, or interior design, but just it's not cream of the crop, but it's a software people can use. Great. So with that, and speaking of architecture, do you guys see any industry trends going on for 2022 or to come this year in your field? Sticker shock? I would say the trend is sticker shock. So inflation, if if people are... People, you Emily, you know it because your team probably knows like how much we talk about inflation and economics and 
it's so important as a business owner for you to uh, understand that. If, if I had to recommend a book to anybody, if somebody said, hey, what, what is one book you'd recommend on economics as a business owner that I could read quickly and give me a primer and I would basically know the basics, it would be Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. So the sticker shock is, is really the trend and it's, it's people trying their best to come up with creative ways on how to build with either less or a different material. And I got to tell you, it's, it's the material... If, no matter how creative you get with the materials, I just I just don't think you're going to beat a system that is 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 not beatable because these exotic systems that you try to do for buildings like the shipping containers, people come to us all the time. Hey, uh, what about a shipping container house? Seems like it save a lot of money. Not really. It's going to double your costs really because it's made for shipping, not housing. What I think you the trend that everybody should do is they should start thinking about less is more. Less space is more more budget for finishes. Uh, if, if you can kind of, you know, the, there was a big trend, like I think in the 90s, it was like a, the small house trend or something yeah. like that. I'm not suggesting all the way down to that, but can you can certain spaces function in as, as two different kinds of spaces at once? What is your architect or designer that you're hiring specialize in is one of the things like, hey, can you show me an example of like you designed a house like mine? 3,402 square feet, eight bedrooms, five and a half baths. Like I tell people those stats and they just, they're like, no way. And I'm like, yes, yes way. And then Al, Al will attest and everybody else will too. Like it still feels like a huge house. It's just, you had a good architect. So those are the, and then the third one is a barn dominiums. I don't know what the heck is up with that, but we were in the uh, Washington post uh, a month ago or something about that. People are, people are moving, right? Obviously, you've seen the trends, you've seen the headlines, like they're going from urban to suburban or even urban all the way out to rural. Everybody can work remote now. Like we've, we've really had a paradigm shift. So I hope like the rural architects are getting all kinds of work because of that. I'm not sure the cost really changes at all. So you really like need to think about, do I need as much space as I had before? Can I downsize? Can it still feel spacious? What are the architectural tricks that go along with downsizing and floor plan. It's probably increased ceiling heights. It's more windows. So you still get that feeling of spaciousness. Yeah. And downsizing and floor area, sizing and value. There you go. Yeah. There's two more. One is just to be aware of a competency crunch, just a term I kind of made up. Uh, I, I do blame baby boomers for a lot of the ills that are going on, but their expertise in the construction industry is going to be hard, a hard gap to make up. And I'm sure maybe in the mm. medical and all these other ones too. But essentially there is tasks that they could comprehensively do because of their experience. And now you have crews that basically need a playbook for everything. And maybe it'll just take a decade or so to kind of catch up. But I have seen it in every single construction trade from multiple different projects and multiple different contractors all saying the same thing. And then the other thing too, just with supply chain issues with 2022, specifically if that were we're talking about and the competency crunch, sometimes it might be hard then to get those specialized crews in on the time that you want. So then projects get kind of extended in, in time. Yeah. And do you guys think the housing boom is going to crash that we're in right or the the situation we're in right now is going to change anytime soon. I think I read someone predicted it's going to be another 10 years where the demand is higher than supply. I, I think it could be the the prices still could come down only if they limit if they limit the money supply and increase the interest rate, but that doesn't mean that there's enough housing. That just means that 
they're just stuffing people in, in the same boxes for more. You're living in your parents for longer. So I could see that here. I could see the demand stays high because of all these issues. The building just keeps staying, keeps staying low. Did, did you, and did, sorry, did you mean that reverse? Like the supply is going to increase and that the, in 10 years, the supply will finally increase and the demand will go down. Yes. Yeah. So it'll kind of, yeah. Yeah. I would. So uh, that's a, who, who, whoever is predicting that kind of stuff, I, I would say, man, that's uh, I love the optimism, great <laughs> optimism, but I've never seen the government shrink in my life ever. I've only seen like a few like hints of freedom, right? Like people legalize cannabis and stuff like that. Like that's, you know, whatever, whatever kind of subject you want to get into where the people have a little bit more freedom to do what they want with them and their property and all that. But uh, the, the, we talk, Alex and I talk about this a lot. Like it just, the bureaucracy just gums the whole system up and they, their intentions are there, right? Oh, we want everybody to have affordable housing. We need green to solve, housing. Yeah, green housing. That's a good one. We need to uh, solve the affordability problem. But I, I, I even it's the same thing. I've, I've almost never seen the government make things easier, and so it, it, it's just it's just a kind of a lose lose situation. Um, unless we have some kind of major catastrophic event where like there are less people. And now there's a bunch of houses. I, I don't or or our boy Elon Musk solves the problem. <laughs> yeah. That's what we need. Like I'm, I'm, it has to take a miracle man like him, somebody like him coming up with like a technology that completely disrupts what's happening, much like the Internet is. And I don't know what that is. And But maybe something will be born very soon um, yeah. that does that. I could see also like Elon Musk predicts over the long 20, 20 40 50 years uh, population does decline. And if yeah. you don't increase immigration, then, then we could run into an issue then, but that's at least 20 years down the road, not in this decade, not before 2030. Yeah. I always counter, like I get these questions from, uh, or these assertions rather in these statements I see like on my social media timelines with uh, people that are like, it's a bubble, it's going to pop. And I'm like, well, first of all, can we just talk about supply and demand? Because that's a much different, if you start, if we start there and we can agree on, agree on some objective truths, that's entirely different than what we experienced in 2008, 2009, which was we did have, we did have a more housing stock. It was a better supply and demand ratio. And then if we can agree there, then the next layer we can add, we can add on top if we're not already done with the conversation is, okay, let's talk about what it took to lend in 2008, 2009 versus now. How about appraisals on top of that too? And those are much different things now. So I, not that you asked, but the, the word triggered my brain is like, I don't think we're in a housing bubble um, because of the supply and demand issue. Yeah. Right. I think though, there, if there is a financial bubble, it won't be because of demand. It will be because of other policies. And then a 25% drop, which would be catastrophic in a lot of industries and a lot of areas is not as bad as a 25% drop in 2008, just because that drop in 2008, you probably had to go back to 10 to 15 years at house prices were that much lower, where now you just go down to 2017. So unless the economy follows, it's those people that bought between 2017 and now that are in the pinch point, rather than anyone that has bought in the last 15 years is a bigger pie than the last three years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Crazy. I think uh, something where my husband and I are trying to get into some 
investment properties and rentals. And we're in a tiny home in DC, like 1200 square feet with our one-year-old. And we're trying to make space. Like I wish the architect put our sink under our window instead of just all this open space by the front door. So we're trying to figure out ways to stay there because we don't need a lot of space. And we can't really do that where we are because we need $1.5 million. (laughs) So yeah. Kind of crazy, but yeah, I th- I'm glad I heard that because I needed to, that it's okay to downsize because you can increase your value still. Iowa exists and it's not as bad as people think. I know. Right. It's really not. <laughs> yeah. Midwest gets a bad rap. Yeah. Yeah. West yeah. Des Moines is actually a pretty nice place. A little hip too. I mean, they, it is. Des Moines is all doing hipster stuff downtown. If you need, if you have to have that, well, there you go. I'll tell my husband, get a remote job and we'll do that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, to wrap up, I would love to hear one piece of advice you'd give to your younger self just starting out. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you want me to go first? Yeah. Always have faith that it's going to work out mm. and because it's going to. Whether or not it works out in the way you want it to work out, that's there's a lesson in how it works out. And it's it's important to just know that it's going to work out. Once it Once it works out in whatever way it does, then you look back and you reflect on that and what, whatever you believe, whether it's God or the universe or nothing, it worked out. What is the lesson here? Yeah. And I don't want to overcomplicate things. So I would just echo that because I think that that is a strong point for people to know. Yeah. Love it. Well, thank you guys so much for hopping on. And one thing I want to lead our listeners to is architectsguide2.com. So that's your guys' course, right? So they can go there and learn more about becoming architect to builder. Check that out. And where can everyone follow you guys or find you online? They get, the easiest way is just go to fdimeproductions.com. You Great. can always contact us there. If, you, if we piqued your curiosity in any way, and you want to ask us a question, we are, we are pretty much readily available. Like we, we always just, we're kind of like, a, we, we've never looked at it as like, it's wasting our time. It's, it's like our job to, if, if people want our advice and we think we have good advice or thoughts, it's our job to, to give that. And then go to inside the podcast.com. That's where you can listen to us every week, twice a week. We're either doing an interview like this on Monday morning or on Friday, we're doing our flagship show inside the firm. And uh, we bring you inside our inner workings, what we're doing. We kind of lay it all raw. And uh, if you start at episode zero, you will understand our journey from when we started our firm in the Great Recession to growing it now to a, uh, a seven-figure gross annual firm with 13 employees and out there and keep growing and doing all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want even more support for your home service business, head on over to our Facebook group where you will meet other like-minded business owners and find additional strategies, ideas, and tips from experts in the industry. Visit constructandgenerate.com slash Facebook to join. I'll see you in there.